didn't. Hey guys, good to, good to be with you today. Um, before we get started on the message, I want to mention a couple things. For a few weeks, you guys have seen these cardboard boxes that are on the side with the slots in them. What we're going to try to do over the next several months is we're going to try to expand how we worship to include our giving. I'm going to be doing a series on giving probably in the spring sometime, early spring, about what it means to be a giver, not just financially, but of your time and your talents and your treasure. And that's what these boxes are for. They're going to be able, you're going to be able to give uh, during worship time, not during the sermon, of course, because you know, you've got to focus, okay? But, but any other time during announcements or whatever, especially during Bruce's announcements. Um, but the point is we're going to try to make giving more of an integral part of our service. And there's some really unique things we're going to do with these boxes besides just putting your giving, your money in there. We're going to put some other things in there too. I've just been thinking through it. I just wanted to give you guys a heads up to know why they're there so that, you know, you can start putting your offering in there if you want, if you're supporting the ministry. Um, but also to know that we're going to target a whole new process for our church family of how to give. Uh, it's going to, I think it's going to revolutionize the way you look at giving, I think, in many ways. So I just wanted to give you a little heads up about that. Um, today, this is number 13 in the life of David. Uh, ceremonial repentance is the name of the, the message today. And, and what we're going to be talking about is why does repentance not work sometimes? I mean, repentance is good. Repentance means that you recognize a problem and you turn away from it and you change the direction that the problem was causing you to have. But sometimes it seems like it doesn't work. Sometimes our repentance can seem really good. We do the right things. We say the right things. We go to the right places. We wear the right clothes. We make sure the right people see it. And sometimes our repentance just falls flat. So we're going to discuss that today. The passage that we're looking at is in 1 Samuel 28, verses 1 through 6. So what I'm going to do is I've broken down the passage into about three or four parts. I'm going to read the first part to you. That's verses 1 through 6. And just listen carefully to what it says. And by the way, our focus this week is not so much on David, it's on Saul. I feel bad for Saul. Because Saul, unfortunately, is in a bad situation. And you're going to see how bad it is in just a moment. In those days, the Philistines gathered together their forces for war to fight against Israel. And Achish said to David, you understand that you and your men are going to go out with me and my army, right? And David said to Achish, you know what your servant can do. And Achish said to David, very well, I will make you my bodyguard for life. Isn't that amazing? Right? The Philistine king says, we're getting ready to go fight against Israel. You're coming with us, right? And this is how much I trust you. I'm going to make you my bodyguard. You're going to guard my life. You're in charge, David, of making sure that I, king of the Philistines, don't die when I fight your people. That's the job he's given David. But then Samuel died. Samuel was the prophet. And all Israel had mourned for him. And they buried him in Ramah, his own city. And Saul, because of Samuel dying, he wanted to honor Samuel. Saul put out all the mediums, all the witches, all the psychics, all the necromancers out of the land. So he kicked out all the people that were like witchcraft type people. Kicked them all out. No more horoscopes in Israel at this time. If you're Scorpio, tough luck. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. The Jerusalem News, the Jerusalem Times, no more horoscopes, nothing like that. No more psychics, no more palm readers, nothing. All gone 
in honor of the fact that the word of, the man who represented God's word, Samuel, had died. So Saul is doing a good thing here, it seems, right? The Philistines assembled and came in and camped in a city near where Saul was. I'm not going to say it because I can't pronounce it. And Saul gathered all Israel and they encamped at Gilboa. And when Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he became very afraid and his heart trembled greatly. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him either by dreams or by Urim or the prophets. So let's look through this, right? First thing is the prophet Samuel dies. Saul casts out all the mediums and all the psychics. Good thing, right? Saul's turning the corner. That's a good thing, Saul. Saul sees the Philistine army gathering, so he's a little scared. What should I do? Should I fight them? Should I not? How should I handle this? What's going to happen? Saul attempts to talk to God. Saul just kicked out all the bad people. And now there's an army. And Okay, I've done a good thing here. Maybe I can talk to God about what's going on. The communication lines are shut. You ever feel like that? Do you? And so Saul goes to talk to God, and God is not listening. Talk to the hand, because the God ain't listening. That's basically what happens here, right? So then we now go on to 1 Samuel 28, verses 7 through 14. Let me read this. Then Saul said to his servants, Seek out for me a woman who is a medium. Uh Uh-oh, Saul. You just kicked them all out. Seek out a woman who is a medium, that that I may go to her and inquire. A medium is somebody who talks to people who are dead. And his servant said to him, Behold, there is a medium in Endor. She was called from this point forward. She's known as the witch of Endor. And so Saul disguised himself, put on other garments, and went. He he and two men with him. And they came to the woman by night. And he said, Divine for me by a spirit, and bring up for whomever I shall name to you. And the woman said, Surely you know what Saul has done. She doesn't know it's Saul, right? She Because you know what Saul's done, right? He's kicked us all out. He has cut off all the mediums and the necromancers from the land. Why are you trying to lay a trap for me for my life to bring about my death? But Saul swore to her by the Lord, as the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. At this point, the the woman probably realized, maybe this is Saul. So the woman said, who do you want me to bring up for you? What dead person? And he said, bring up Samuel, the prophet. So Saul is still trying to talk to God. God wouldn't listen to him through the regular means, so he goes to a medium and says, bring up the prophet, I want to talk to him. So that when the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice. And the woman said to Saul, why have you deceived me? You are Saul. And the king said to her, do not be afraid, what do you see? And the woman said to Saul, I see God coming up out of the earth. Uh Uh-oh, that's never good. I mean, that's never a good scene, right? Especially if you're a witch. That's not good. And he said to her, what is his appearance? And she said, an old man is coming up with him. He's wrapped in a robe. And Saul knew that it was Samuel, and he bowed his face to the ground, and he paid respect. So Saul's true heart is manifested in two ways, is it not? First, he went against his previous decree. All the mediums, all those guys, gone. God's not talking to me. Find me a medium. Right? And then, he does it in secret. In disguise, Saul covers up his face. comes with two men. Not an army of people like a king would normally go with, you know, because you've got to protect the king. He puts himself at risk. And he goes to this witch. 
And he does it in secret. He went against his previous decree. And so then we see right there, don't we, that his repentance at that point was kind of ceremonial. It was a big thing. Everybody knew it. Everybody in the land knew those kind of people are against the law now. And everybody saw it. And it was very ceremonial. And it meant nothing. Saul's attempt at repentance falls short. And when he does it in secret, in disguise, it's another example of deception. In verse 14, though, it says he bowed his face to the ground in respect for the man of God. This is more ceremonial spiritual action. Do you see that? It's not really a true heart of repentance. All of a sudden, Saul is casting out the, 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 the mediums and then brings them back and says, let me talk to you. I've got to talk to Samuel. The medium brings up Samuel and Saul basically says, oh, I give you honor and respect and glory, Samuel. You're the man of God. It's all an act. It's not real repentance. But I think Saul really tried, don't you? I mean, he really did want to talk to God. And it's a very hard theology for me to grab, wrap my arms around and, and grapple with, right? Let me read this next part of the passage in 1 Samuel 28, 15 and 19. Then Samuel said to Saul, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? I was on vacation, dude. I'm chilling in heaven. And you got to talk to this witch to bring me up, to talk to you about this war that's not going to go well for you anyway? What a waste of my time. And Saul said, I'm in great distress for the Philistines are warring against me and God has turned away from me and he doesn't answer me anymore by the prophets or by dreams or anything. Therefore, I have summoned you to tell me what I should do. And Samuel said, why then do you ask me since the Lord has turned from you and become your enemy? Whoa. Can you imagine what Saul must have felt when he heard Samuel say, the Lord is your enemy? The Lord has done to you as he spoke by me, for the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor David, because you did not obey the voice of the Lord and did not carry out his fierce wrath against Amalek. Therefore, the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Moreover, the Lord will give Israel also with you into the hand of the Philistines. In other words, your whole army is going to die. And tomorrow you and your sons shall all be here with me, dead. The Lord will give the army of Israel also into the hands of the Philistines. So here's what happens. A dead man speaks to Saul. He talks about the final destruction. The message is a grim one. How awful it must have been for Saul to hear this, right? And the consequences are expanded. Not only are you going to lose the kingdom, now you're going to die. Your kids are going to die. Your army is going to die. It's getting worse by the second. This is all on the heels of an attempt to repent. His repentance made it worse. Guys, isn't that a little bit confusing? Isn't it troubling? Isn't it scary? Look, I don't like this passage. Honestly, I wanted to skip this one. Well, look, we're doing the life of David. This is more about Saul. I don't need to preach this one. Let's just move on. 
you guys would have probably not complained. Maybe some of you said, hey, why happened to 28? Oh, it's too boring. You wouldn't like it. I'll come up with an excuse. But I can't do that. I'm going through Book of Samuel, Life of David, and I got to preach each passage, and I really don't like this one. First Chronicles 10, 13 to 14. Let me read this to you. So Saul, for his faithfulness, died. The unfaithfulness, his unfaithfulness, which he had committed against the Lord because he did not keep the word of the Lord and also because he consulted a medium for guidance. But he did not inquire of the Lord, therefore he killed him and turned the kingdom over to David, the son of Jesse. That's what we see in Chronicles is the reason why Saul is in this predicament. The last section is 1 Samuel 28, 20 to 25. I'm going to read it. Then Saul fell at once full length to the ground. He's laying down, face down, like at some grief, right? It's not ceremonial anymore. It's not. It's like, uh uh-oh. Filled with fear because of the words of Samuel. And there was no strength in Saul because he hadn't eaten anything all day and all night. That's fasting. See, there's this little side, side issue for you. There's this really bad theological teaching about fasting out there. You know, like you announce it and you talk about it. You know what really fasting is about? When you're going through something so hard that all you can think about is, man, how can God help me? And you're so distracted by it and you're so focused on God, you don't even want to eat. Like when we went through what I did with my daughter when she died, I didn't eat for a day or two because I was, I was fasting. Not because I was trying to make myself more spiritual, but because all I could focus on was my relationship with God. I didn't have any interest in food. I was so heavy with burden. Fasting doesn't make you more spiritual. It doesn't bring you closer to God. Fasting is a result of a real relationship with God that caused you to lose interest in something else during a time in your life. And that's what Saul is doing here. He can't eat. He's overcome with this fear and this anguish. And the woman came to Saul, and she saw that he was terrified, and she said to him, Behold, your servant has obeyed you. I have taken my life in my hand. I listened to what you have said to me. Therefore, you should also obey what I tell you. So now the witch is trying to help him. Let me set a morsel of bread before you and eat so that you may have strength. And then you've got to go. He refused and said, I will not eat. But his servants, together with the woman, urged him. And then finally he listened to their words. He rose up from the earth, sat on a bed. Now the woman had a fattened calf in the house. She quickly killed it. She took flour and kneaded it and baked unleavened bread of it. She put it before Saul and his servants. They ate. Then he arose and he left under darkness. So he learns the reason for his demise His lack of moral judgment and leadership has caused this destruction of the armies of Israel as well at the hands of the Philistines and his sons. His response is one of heavy anguish, fear, and anxiety. Can you imagine? God's your enemy. You're going to die. Your army's going to die. Your sons are going to die. You're done. This is coming from God. How would you feel? Would you want to eat? I'd probably eat. (laughs) I like food, so. 
And just as they came in disguise, they left under cover of darkness. This proves even further that Saul knew what he was doing was wrong. He reserved, even after he cast out the mediums and the psychics and all, he reserved a specific area. And guys, listen, it's important. He reserved a specific area in his life for disguise and deceit and darkness and cover, even in the midst of his tremendously audacious ceremonial repentance. So let's look at the pattern of Saul's fake repentance. This is not the first time. You remember when Jonathan convinced him to stop trying to kill David? He had thrown the spear at him a few times and he had you know, tried to do a few other things. He sent some assassins to get him and he tried to get his, his daughter Michael to deceive him and all these things. And Jonathan says, Dad, what are you doing? David's a good guy. Stop it. And Saul says, I swear, as the Lord is God, I will not lay a hand against David. That's repentance, right? Didn't work. He kept pursuing David. He kept pursuing him through the wilderness, all these different places, right? Let's look at another time. He had some fake repentance. His sorrow in the wilderness twice. Remember the first time where he's going out to find David? And David goes into the cave where Saul is going to the bathroom. And David cuts off the corner of his garment and says, Saul, I could have killed you. Why are you going after me so much? You know I love you. And Saul says, you know what? You're right. As the Lord lives, I will not lay a hand on you, my servant David. I love you. And then the sermon that uh, Bruce preached, just a couple days later, Saul goes back out after David in the wilderness. And Saul's army and Abner and everybody falls asleep. And he goes in there, and David says, Saul, why are you trying to kill me? Look, all your people are asleep. God delivered you into my hand a second time. Why are you trying to kill me? As the Lord lives, David, you are right. God has been gracious to me, even though I'm a sinner. I will not lay a hand on you. And then we see another example of his fake repentance when he casts out all the mediums and psychics, and as soon as things get a little bit difficult, he goes and runs to one again. So how does Saul, Saul's sin compare with the sin we saw in David? We talked about it a couple weeks ago, you remember? Going against towns every day, wiping everybody out, and, you know, and living with the king of the Philistines. It's showing a real lack of faith. Guys, does anyone else have a big problem with this elephant in the room here? You get, is, it, is it just me? Like, I'm looking at this saying, yeah, Saul was wrong, but so was David. What's the difference? And Saul tried to repent, and God says, I'm not talking to you anymore. I'm your enemy. Let's deal with it, shall we? It's in the Scripture. Nothing Saul could do was going to work. And to be honest, when I really first studied this passage in 1999, I really struggled with it. So here's my... Journal entry. <laughs> True story. I didn't know what to do with it. And so, started thinking through this, and what are some of the ceremony or repentance costumes we use as Christians? What are some of them? See, I think that some of us are stuck in the deceptive death spiral trap of ceremonial repentance in your life. It looks good. It sounds good. It may feel right. 
It seems like to other people that it's going well. You could fool a lot of people, but it's not real because there's an area of darkness in your life. I've got a video I'm going to want you to see. It's kind of a funny video, and it kind of describes a little bit in a kind of a humorous way the way Christians talk about accountability and guarding your heart and repentance. Watch this clip. Bless his heart. I think he's backsliding. I think I saw him drink. Yeah, but in moderation. I just wasn't seeing much fruit. He's going down a slippery slope. How's your heart, man? How's your heart? I'm just such a words guy. It was a total God thing. I'm blessed. I've been working on my testimony. Is that secular music? We're opening with a secular song tonight. Wait, is this a secular song? Isn't she secular? Which station's The Fish? 104.3 The Fish. Safe for the whole family. You know he's a believer. I think he's saved. I just pray you'd give him traveling mercies. Mm. Pray for all Tyler's unspokens. Mm. Echo that. Just really like to echo Tyler's prayer, Father. I just, I echo that echo of my echo of his echo. I really feel like I'm being released from this, you know? I'm trying to be relevant. I'm just trying to be in the world, not of it. Hey, do you want to join our small group? You want to join my D group? You want to join my cell group? Community group? Access group? Accountability group? Acts 27 group? Dude, he brought it. He brought the word. That service last night rocked me. They're pretty purpose-driven. Yeah, it's seeker. Don't they do seeker service there? I feel like he's gotten really watered down. I don't feel like he really teaches the word. There's not enough meat, you know? Are they non to non? We have a great Wednesday night supper. Let's invite some dudes over and fellowship tonight. We're gonna have a sweet time of fellowshipping tonight. Dude, we had the sickest fellowship last night. We're going to extreme. Velocity. Ignite. Yeah, I'm going to ignite. The edge. The dive. The bridge. The ramp. Fire. Courageous. Passion. Echo. Reverb. Noise. Velocity. Drive. Elevate. Radiate. 722. 635. 419. Orange. Blue. Yellow. Green. Clear. Neon. Catalyst conference this year. I don't do that because I feel like it ruins my witness. Been struggling with that. So I'm really wrestling with that. I'm wrestling with a doubt. Need someone to hold me accountable. I'm really trying to be intentional with her. I'm pursuing her for sure. I'm trying to guard her heart. Guard her heart though, bro. Will you hold me accountable to that? Yeah, well bounce your ass. Bounce your ass. Dang it! Crap. Shoot. Sheesh. Frip. Darn it! What the H? Holy crap. Son of a beasting. Dude, he's really teeing me off. I'm gonna kick his A. Are you asking me right now? Not cool. I find that offensive. Uh, aren't we good at that stuff? Bring up my slide back again. Do it go backwards? Aren't we good at that stuff, guys? We're good at, at the ceremonial side of being a Christian. We're good at... Uh, saying the right things, and we know when we need to say the right things, we know when we need to do the right things, and we know when we have to make a change, especially a change that other people need to see. But you know what else we're good at? We're good at covering up. We're good at making sure that we stay in disguise, we stay in character. We're also good at using the darkness. We can come and go when nobody sees us. And we can do the very things that we're trying to repent from. Maybe it's gossip. Maybe it's rebellion. Maybe it's alcohol. Maybe it's drugs. Maybe it's immorality. We even join accountability groups for these things. 12 steps, 24 steps, 36 steps, discipleship. We get books on the stuff. 
Oh, I read this great book on getting rid of this particular sin in my life. Guys, repentance isn't our speech. It's not even our activities. It's not even our passion. Altar calls, accountability partners, seminars, conferences, books, certain words and phrases, church activities. Sometimes it's a huge disguise for the fact that we're still walking around in the cover of darkness, especially if there's no brokenness. So here's what I wrote the next day in my journal back then, because I had to come back to the service. I mean, I'm a pastor. I can't just say I don't know what it means. I got too much arrogance for that, so I have to go back. I often come with a heart that appears to be repentant, but is it willing to remove all my disguises or to walk in the light of who I really am? Do I seek to move under darkness just like Saul did? Sure, my repentance disguise can fool my friends, maybe even my family, but do I keep secrets in my life? But God doesn't care about the outward ceremony or repentance. He looks at the heart. That's the beginning of the life of David, wasn't it not? My only hope for repentance is grace and mercy and the power of God's Spirit in my life, which has nothing to do with what I do. This is the part that some of you will love and some of you will hate. But I believe it's biblical. Look at this passage. Do you presume on the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? You see what repentance starts with? What does it start with? God's kindness. But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Does that not sound like Saul? So, logically, we understand that the ingredient missing in Saul's repentance, if God's kindness is what leads to repentance, then what was Saul missing? And this is a really scary concept for me. So I was talking to, as I was getting ready to preach this, I was talking to a pastor friend of mine. Actually, I talked to several this week because I was really struggling with how I was going to communicate this, right? I talked with three pastors, two of which had this idea of a Reformed theology view, which I embrace, and one that doesn't. I said, I'm really struggling with this picture of Saul and David. I mean, Saul sinned, but so did David. Was Saul's sin really that much worse than David's? I mean, really? On the scale? You know, is he really that much worse? And when I look at David's later life, all the crap that he did, wow. And so I began to really struggle with this. I said, how do I communicate that Saul's... Rep- I mean, Saul looks like he really tries. And God doesn't even want to talk to him. Saul comes to God and says, God, what do I do? And God says, I'm not talking to you. That's scary. True repentance, and this is the phrase that these guys helped me come up with. No, no, I come up with it myself. I'm going to take all the credit for it. No, I'm just kidding. They helped me. True repentance doesn't bring God's favor. God's favor brings true repentance because guys think about this right here it is this is where the rubber meets the road god never does a crappy job of saving anyone 
The Word of God never returns void. It always accomplishes everything it's supposed to. He will be faithful to, He who began a good work will be faithful to complete it in you until the day of salvation. All the Father has given me will come to me. No one can pluck them out of my hand. For we know that we has created us for good works that He prepared beforehand that we should basically stumble over. We were dead. He made us alive. And so you begin to think about this. True repentance is not your doing. It's God's doing. But even that is struggle for me. Because I like to try hard. I like to have control. I don't like this at all, guys. I don't like it. But in a strange way, isn't it more comforting? I mean, isn't it comforting to know that my repentance is a result of God? That my repentance doesn't bring God's favor. God's favor brings what? My repentance. Chicken or the egg? Look at this. Maybe there will be more repentance if we had our hearts focused less on our efforts and more on God's kindness toward us. You hear that? Maybe our lives would have more repentance if we focus less on how hard we try and more on how great God's mercy and love and kindness and compassion is toward us wicked, sinful people with addictions and lying and deceit and immorality and judgment and arrogance and failures and ceremonial repentance and church phrases that don't mean diddly squat. Maybe... Our lives will exemplify repentance more if our focus is on how great God's mercy is and how less about how great our efforts are. What is the ultimate test of truth? If it gives man any credit, it's a lie. If it gives God credit, it's true. For me, I'll tell you this. The confidence in my repentance is not on how good I can do it. It's on the amazing grace and kindness that Romans 4 tells us leads to repentance. God, thank you for enabling me to repent because of your grace. Why do we love Jesus? Because he first loved us.